Last night, this is a letter, last night at 12.58 a.m., three unidentified men on a motorcycle went behind our building, avoiding our security cameras and lobbed two handmade grenades at our church and living quarters. We woke up to loud explosions, flashes of light, breaking windows and walls. Within 15 minutes, the police arrived and discovered that one of the grenades was still live. Thankfully, none of our brothers were on the roof when the grenades landed. The police gathered whatever evidence they could and said that if someone would have been in the proximity of the blast, it would have been fatal. Several senior police officers have come and are assuring us of security. Of course, God is sovereign and He Himself is our true security. We think the men who did this were very angry at the gospel work going on and are trying to scare us in order that we might cease doing what we are doing. Of course, we will not cease doing what we are doing by God's grace. The Lord is at work in our church and the gospel is going out. Last week, we had eight baptisms and all of those baptized had previously rejected Jesus as the eternal Son of God. Please pray that the Lord would be glorified through all this. We appreciate your prayers. My friend sent this letter the day after these attacks, and even though these events took place a handful of years ago, it is nevertheless frightening and encouraging. What faith and hope in Christ What faithfulness in continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder how your faith would fare in the face of such challenges against you and against your Christ. In the midst of such suffering for the faith, or even if we back up and think big picture, just suffering in general because we live in a sinful world, how is it that Christians, you, myself, can keep such faith and such hope in Christ? Our passage this morning gives us the answer. It is, if you're taking notes, by hoping in God who keeps us. The big idea from today's passage, how is it that we keep hope alive? The answer is by hoping in God who keeps us. Join me in turning to the book of 1 Peter. We are in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, and as you turn there, I'll give you some background. This letter was written by the Apostle Peter in the early 60s AD, and he's writing to Christians spread out through the region that we know now to call modern-day Turkey, and they were going through suffering for the faith. Widespread persecution had not yet come about in Nero. It will in just a few years at the time of this writing, but at this point in time, they're still suffering for Christ, no doubt. And it is into that kind of suffering that Peter writes, seeking to renew their hopes in Jesus, seeking to encourage them in greater faithfulness to Christ, no matter what occurs. So I wonder for you guys, are you in the midst of affliction? Whether for your faith or from living in this sinful and broken world. If so, I pray that the Lord would secure you in your heavenly Father's arms, knowing that He is with you and He will no doubt keep you all the way until the end. Look at 1 Peter, and I'll go ahead and read 1, 1 to 5. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, from our passage this morning, as we're seeking to hope in God who keeps you, we're going to look at four reasons for why you can and why you should hope in God in the midst of suffering. Reason number one, reason number one, there is no hope outside of God. Plain and simple, there is no hope outside of God. Christian hope is based entirely on God himself, not on ourselves or our temporal circumstances. And maybe the most common misunderstanding about the Christian faith is that Christian hope or hope in general rests finally on me, on ourselves. And this misunderstanding says our eternal well-being depends on the power of positive thinking. And us in Southern California, you know where that has come from. Examples, you're just having a hard time, you just got to be strong. Got to keep the faith, you know this song. Keep on moving, push forward and overcome all the suffering in your lives. Just keep the faith, and that is what that means, faith in ourselves. That, friends, is actually a false gospel that comes wrapped in the package of the power of positive affirmations and positive thinking. I can do all things with Christ as my cosmic cheerleader. God as my water boy, I therefore can do all things. But this mindset is actually so far from Peter's. You look there in verse 3, he doesn't have, Peter does not have them look inside the mirror so they can see themselves. In fact, for help, he tells them to look to the heavens, to their all-powerful God who alone gives life to the dead. Look there, verse 3. Blessed be God, not you. Blessed be God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and according to His great mercy. That's God and His character. And then, of course, what has He done? He has caused us to be born again. And so you see here that God secures safety for suffering Christians. God alone secures safety for suffering Christians. If you think about those who received the letter, you imagine that it would have been incredibly encouraging for these Christians. I mean, Peter writes them, look, you may be suffering at the hands of men who want to bring about your death, but at the hand of the Lord God Almighty, all merciful, know that he has already given you new life. So you see there, that's the anchor for their hope. My persecutors may take my life, but blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to have life anew or to be born again. This language of being born again speaks of this new life in Christ, also called regeneration. The same term is, is used there in 123. Go ahead and look there in 123. You have been born again, he says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. If you're visiting with us, maybe you're exploring Christianity, 
You know, speaking on behalf of Bethany, welcome. The Bible says that actually all people are in need of this new life in Christ. Everybody's in need of this new life in Christ or this regeneration. And the reason why is because we've already experienced a degeneration, as some say. We are all dead, spiritually speaking. And we are all spiritually dead in our sins as we stand under the judgment of God. Let me tell you exactly how that happened. The Bible says that God, right, He created everything. He created people as well to be in relationship with Him. Praise God for that. And this relationship is, was absolutely loving, right? It's perfect. There is no sin. It's a relationship of trust, a relationship of love, and for us, obedience. We knew Him in the beginning, before sin entered the world, as loving King, loving Father, where we lived underneath in joy His gracious and good rule, right? That's God, but, right, in effort to rule ourselves, we rejected God. We reject His authority, we reject His rule and His good law and His love, and instead... We choose to be our own kings and our own queens unto ourselves, as if that were possible, right? We're going to strive, this is the nature of sin, we're going to strive to live autonomously, apart from God. This, friends, is the nature of sin. And so you can imagine this offense. The eternal, absolutely holy God draws near to His creation, and we just say, get out of here. We we simply just don't have time for you, because we want to do what we want to do, is live as kings and queens unto ourselves, and even think about it this way, set up our own kingdoms and thrones where God alone is king. Now, we know this in any earthly sense, right? If we were to do this in in any, underneath any ruler, set up our own thrones and plot the overthrow of the king, we are going to be in big trouble. We know this today, right? That's treason, and the consequent is judgment and death. Friends, the same thing happens when it comes to the eternal God. As we set up our own thrones, we are actually committing treason against God, against the one and only holy God and ruler of the world. But remember, I mentioned that God is a loving God, right? Loving relationship. And we see this love, right, and His mercy in relation to us creating the problem. So where we created the problem, God comes in and actually provides the solution even though we are the cause of it, right? And so we see God's love. We see His mercy. We see in the passage in verse 3, according to His great mercy, His compassion. And so God sees man's sin, and He answers it with grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. In His tender compassion, not wanting any to perish. In fact, wanting all to come to repentance and faith. God therefore sends Jesus Christ, His eternal Son, to save. Though we fail to fulfill God's righteous demands, He sends Christ, who therefore fulfills the perfect law and fulfills all of the demands on His people's behalf. The penalty that we ourselves deserve for committing treason. Jesus Christ takes that upon Himself on the cross. He bears our sin and the wrath that we deserved so that His people wouldn't have to. On the third day, He rose again, showing all that payment has been made and the death sentence no longer hangs over any of His people. That is those who have turned from their sins and believed on Him. And in that, for those who believe, those who recognize His Lordship, there is pardon, forgiveness for all of our sins. And, get this, He has decreed and declared that everyone, everyone, all who turn from their sin and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved, forgiven of their sin, 
declared righteous before the holy God, adopted into his family where we know him as loving father. We are born again, given life anew. All of this through faith in Christ and his work on the cross. And so God turns his enemies into his family. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. In a nutshell, that is what it means to be saved. So again, if you're visiting with us and you know yourself to be exploring Christianity, what is this stuff? Friends, this salvation can be yours if you turn from your sin and acknowledge the Lord as your creator. And he promises that you will be saved. I'm sure you can talk to the friend who brought you, the pastors. They'll explain more about this wonderful gospel that we as Christians believe. Well, praise God, he is not only the righteous judge, but he is sovereign over all. He is gracious and merciful, steadfast in love, which we had already heard about in our scripture passage, and we can know this salvation. You listen to this now. Listen to your God expressing his character in Ephesians 2.8, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved that is amazing but returning to the letter and seeing how peter writes of god's work of salvation how is it that that encourages faithfulness right how is it that that encourages faithfulness in the midst of our suffering as we live in the sinful world where there naturally is suffering because of sin well i think these truths actually fuel faithfulness it fuels faithfulness as we behold god and his love and mercy in christ our faithfulness is renewed. Our faithfulness, our love for Christ is renewed. How does life, new life in Christ free Christians or compel Christians to lay down their earthly lives for Jesus? It is because what is gained in the gospel, eternal life in Christ and a whole host of other things, what is gained in the gospel far outweighs anything that can be lost for the gospel. Right? What can be gained? You have eternal salvation in Jesus. What is it that can be lost? It is our very lives. What can be gained in the gospel far outweighs all that can be lost for the gospel. Being beneficiaries of God's eternal, eternal inheritance, we are enabled by His grace to endure suffering at the hands even of our own enemies. And even that go on to expend our earthly lives loving our enemies for Christ's sake. Is this not the path that Peter walked? The path that his Savior walked? As he is ultimately our example. You look at 1 Peter 4.19. And he calls us, 4.19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good and then you look at 222 look over at 222 right he holds out jesus as our example in the midst of suffering 222 he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
You see how Christ there is our example. He is the one in which we can follow, and He is the one that we cling to in the midst of our suffering. 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, here's the purpose, just like Jesus, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they do what? It says there that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That means your very own enemies, friends will know and recognize, perhaps by the grace of God, on account of the fact that you follow Jesus, that Christ is Lord and Savior. And in suffering for Christ and in suffering like Christ, we testify to the fact that, yes, there is great gain in Jesus that far exceeds anything here that can be lost for Christ. So why is it Why is it that we should trust in God in the midst of suffering? It's because God is our only hope. The second reason to hope in God in suffering, the second reason to hope in God in suffering is because Christian hope never dies, or of course, to put it positively, Christian hope always lives. Look there again in our passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you notice what we have, that we have been born to a hope? It is into a hope. You guys know, uh, I'm sure you have, you have relatives who have given birth, right? As you are all in existence. So you certainly have had relatives who have given birth. When a, a woman, when my wife gives birth to, uh, you know, child number one through four, the ch- child is born to something. And of course, in the most ideal situations, which of course doesn't exist, born to perfect loving parents, a perfect family born even to a wonderful name that maybe comes with a wonderful inheritance, just as a baby is born to a something. So the Christian is born here to a living hope. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. And why is it living? Not only because God has given us a new spiritual life, but it's also because Jesus Christ still lives. That's why your hope is living, Christian. Imagine if Christ stayed dead. Remember how discouraged and fearful the Christians, the disciples were after Christ's crucifixion? Their Lord had just died and was buried. And so they had discouragement and fear. Friends, you realize that that discouragement and fear, maybe even you might feel some of that right now. That kind of stuff is what the Christian life would be and permanently so if Christ were not raised from the dead. But thank God, Christ did in fact rise, and with Him, our hopes. If Christ stays dead, we have no hope. If Christ rises since Christ has risen, therefore our hopes go up as well. It's beautiful. There's some beautiful theology in Romans chapter 6. There Paul speaks about baptism and, of course, what it symbolizes. It's the Christian's union with Jesus Christ in His death and in His resurrection, right? And just as Jesus goes down into the ground and dies the death that we ourselves deserve, right? He dies to sin, and we as Christians, we are united with him. So we therefore die to sin. But of course, we know that Christ rose from the dead as well. And as he rises to new life, so Jesus, so we as Christ people, because we are in him, we rise as well. So if you imagine, you know, a, a train, so to speak, that is, that, is live, that is above ground at one point in time, and then it goes underground, the death. So we who ride in his train follow into the ground. That is just the reality. But praise God, just as he rises, so those who are in him rise as well. 
not on account of ourselves, but wholly on account of Jesus Christ. This Christian is your new life in Christ. And that new life that Christ wins for himself, he wins for you. His victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory against Satan guarantees our victory over the power of sin, death, and Satan for ourselves. That is hope because of Christ in the midst of suffering. The access that Christ has to the Father, so we have to the Father as well, who loves us and watches over us. Where He is in heaven with the Father, we too will be one day because we are already in him and so if you think of those of you who uh maybe you go rock climbing i personally have never gone rock climbing but for those of you who do go rock climbing you can imagine using a carabiner and you're you are latched onto christ and wherever christ goes you go too which means yes he goes down into the ground but it also means that he rises and so do you but then the reality is as peter is pointing us to god it is christ who is who carabiners himself to us he's the one who is keeping us and so where he goes we follow praise the lord you see friends therefore as strong as your savior is so goes your hope as strong as your savior is so goes your hope this means that with your christ as you face every discouragement, every moment of fear, and every seemingly hopeless situation, God answers that with the rock-solid hope of Jesus. Thinking back to how fearful and discouraged and maybe hopeless the disciples were after the crucifixion, right? you can imagine the darkness covers the land. It also covers their hearts. But you can imagine how their fears fled. They were driven away like cockroaches when they see the light their fears fly away in the appearing of the resurrected eternal son risen from the dead. That, friends, is faith and hope renewed. Christ has risen just as he said he would. And so as strong as Christ is, so goes our hope. Christian, when you feel like your hope lays dead, remember Christ lives and with him your hope. We see this displayed or played out in Paul the Apostle's life this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. You can turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Having suffered tremendously for the gospel, this is what he writes. And if you are suffering, friend, you have a kindred spirit, an example. He writes there, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is why Christians, even in persecution or threat of losing our lives or suffering in general, we Christians, yes, we do grieve, but we grieve as those who have hope, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As Christ lives, so lives our hope. Now, you may be pushing back. You may be pushing back. And you may say, but no, you, you just don't understand. 
I am suffering unjustly at the hands of evil men, and I want vengeance now. That friend, you could just imagine what might have happened. I had known him when me and my wife lived in Dubai. We were serving a church there, and uh, that was just one instance. We had, we had gotten to know this family who was running a ministry in uh, South Asia, and we had met that family, and then this issue of the grenades happened. We had met another friend um, whose wife had been killed in a car bomb uh, in Pakistan. Or you could just imagine maybe what's going on even right now with your family as you are, have become a Christian and you are evangelizing them and you are no longer doing what they are so used to you doing, drinking together, partying together. All of a sudden, they, they kind of don't really understand why is it that you are distancing yourselves from, from them or something. And, or maybe you're, you're just coming in contact with people who want to treat you poorly and you want to exact revenge now. Well, here's the answer. It's your Lord lives. And He is judge. That's what we already read. He is the judge. And He will return to establish His righteousness to the ends of the earth. And therefore, as 1 Peter 4, 19 says... We are enabled to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly while doing good, just like Jesus. Another objection, but I'm facing a death sentence because of persecution or cancer. Here's an answer. Your Lord, in his getting up from the dead, as he clothes himself with the glory of immortality, friends, you realize that he has promised that for you inner matter of time as you will follow in his train another objection i follow jesus and if i stand for him when my family ridicules christ i fear losing my reputation you know what your lord has told you he says that you are his child and he has declared that you too will inherit the kingdom of god and share both in god's kingdom but also in his glory according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Friends, you realize that that is confidence. All of that is confidence that overwhelms the insecurities and hopelessness that comes from hoping in the stuff of life. Hoping in a changed circumstance even of no persecution or no suffering or no ridicule in general or in keeping our earthly reputations, right? We could just go on of what it looks like to hope in the stuff of the world. Those things and our own strength will fail. But thank God he never does. Thank God that he, quote, neither sleeps nor slumbers, and it is he who watches over his people, Psalm 121. And so therefore, Peter, knowing that, and having suffered himself for the gospel, writes encouraging these Christians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why would you, why would any of us bank our hopes on earthly things or circumstances when, according to the next phrase, he has assigned to his people an eternal inheritance? This brings us to the third reason to hope in God in the midst of suffering, the third reason to hope in God. Third, with Christ we have an eternal inheritance. With Christ, we have an eternal inheritance. Look at verse 4. God has caused us to be born again, we already said, to a living hope. Here he says to, the second thing, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This language of inheritance shows up a lot in the Bible naturally, this language of inheritance. 
casts our minds to something future, right? In this case, it is the future inheritance that lasts into eternity. Jesus ultimately is our inheritance. Paul writes similarly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then you, you, just, you look at this purpose statement, which is marvelous. It says, God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, that's a purpose statement, so that in the coming ages, into eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This inheritance is ultimately, again, Christ himself and our salvation in him. But again, think of how suffering Christians would have heard that those words. They open this letter, they receive it, someone's reading it to them. They themselves are going through difficult times. It is as if he says, look, you may have little here in the kingdom of God. Yes, you may have very little here. In, sorry, in the kingdom of man. But look there. According to God's purpose and plan, he has made you, again, an inheritor of the kingdom of God in Christ, where Christ is king. Christians, you too have a, a heavenly inheritance. And did you notice there are all of the different words, the adjectives to describe this marvelous inheritance? Imperishable, never destroyed. Undefiled, always pure and unfading, never diminishing. Children, you realize, all of us too, we might receive Christmas presents come Christmas. Those things will be in the trash dump very shortly. The new Tesla that you might dream about, the same thing. It'll land in the trash dump slowly. Why is it that we would put our hope in the stuff of this world when we have this eternal inheritance that God himself through Jesus Christ shed blood holds out to all of us today and for eternity, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? For many of us, if not all of us, there is a temptation, of course, to put our hope in all the things that I mentioned. Money, material things, your earthly name, maybe your lineage, maybe your status or power relationships, as if that stuff is our salvation or that is what is of ultimate value or lasting value. What's interesting is that suffering, if you are suffering now or you will suffer, which is all of us in the future, you realize that your suffering is clarifying for you what is truly of value. Whether we choose to suffer for something or not reveals just how worthy we think that thing is. Choosing to suffer for something reveals the strength and the glory that we have assigned to that thing. So suffering shows us what we value. This is a wonderful benefit of suffering. It is certainly difficult i myself since 2017 have gone through immense physical suffering i have a gout gout arthritis but my gout attacks most people if you don't know what gout is basically it's an arthritis the most painful arthritis that you can have and some people they when they have these gout flare-ups they last for three to ten days mine last five weeks and and for two years they just came over and over and over again and in in the moment it is like I've never given birth, but women who have gout, <laughs> women who have gout, who have given birth, say that the gout attack is more painful, right? But of course, in ideal situations, hopefully you're left with a healthy baby. But with gout, you're left facing the next gout attack 
or at least I was. And the Lord used that to clarify the very things that I lived for. Why is it that I'm holding on to such health with my Brazilian jiu-jitsu grip (laughs) when the Lord wants me to let it go? It's hard even to think about the hardest of sufferings that we have gone through, isn't it? But the benefit of suffering is that it clarifies, and that, friends, is a grace of God. When we stare disappointment in the face, aren't we reminded again that this world is not our home? In that moment, as you hold that broken thing in your hands, broken toy, Definitely some broken stock portfolios these days. Broken marriage. Broken bodies. And you suffer and weep. You realize that God is helping to wean us from all that fails us. Right? All that fails us. God is weaning us from all that fails us. So we would hope in Him who never will. Praise God. In those circumstances, faith is refined like gold in the fire, which is the way Peter describes it in verse 6. It is not always comfortable. It is certainly difficult, devastating, soul-crushing at times. But does God use it for our good? Absolutely. He helps us look to Christ to know His tender mercies in causing us to be born again to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That is Christ in his kingdom. So Christian, you see this again, that as strong as Christ is, so goes our hope. What else are we going to trust in? But Christ who lives eternally and Christ who saves us and reconciles us to God our Father. And with our loving Savior, we can have confidence and security looking forward to this final salvation with absolute certainty. This brings us to the fourth and final reason to trust in God in suffering. Fourth reason to trust in God in suffering. Because God will bring us to final salvation. Because God will bring us to final salvation. You look there in verse 5, right? We have been born again to a living hope. We have been born again to an inheritance. And now we have been born again to a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here he's talking about Christ's return and the final salvation that is to be revealed. On this day, Christ will make His righteous rule made known to the full, where God will right all wrongs, judge the wicked, and gather Himself, His people, to be with Him forever. The second coming is a huge theme in 1 Peter. You can just look at 1.13, for example. Look at 1.13, and you see this marvelous hope that He holds out there. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do good now. Set your mind on Jesus. He is coming. The grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 5, this grace is ready to be revealed in the last times. We are reminded of John 14, where in the upper room, Jesus calms the anxious hearts of His disciples, knowing that they will, in fact, go through persecution and suffering. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, right? Inheritance language. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Christian, that's your future hope. On that day, the heavens will break out, break open onto this fallen world in full. The clouds will part and God will accomplish everything He has promised He would in Christ. So do you believe that promise? I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I get, that, I get and I understand that in times of deep suffering and discouragement, we feel like we can barely keep it together or keep it going. But thank God that our hope doesn't rest finally on us, but it rests entirely on God. Did you notice how it is that we know we'll make it to final salvation? There in verse 5, what does it say? There in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded. God's power. Therefore, we make it to the end. No surprise, right? It is by God's mercy that we are made alive. It is by Christ's resurrection that we have, therefore, a living hope. And it is because that God and His kingdom are imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that we, therefore, have this inheritance as well. And God Himself is keeping us. Naturally, of course, right? Naturally, we would all think this. By God's sovereign grace, it says, He will guard us by His power to receive what He Himself has planned for us, promised for us, actively preserves for us. And so, once again, as strong as God is, so goes our hope. Praise the Lord. Christian, your sovereign God is wielding His power for you in Christ. And so what else is there to do but to trust and believe in God who loves you, who saves you, and who keeps you? Did you notice there, there in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith? What else is there to do if God is sovereign but to believe in Him? That's all you got to do. That's why salvation is not of works, but it is by faith in Christ alone, by His grace. Because what else is there to do if God accomplishes our salvation and preserves us all the way unto the end? Of course, that that is not to discount uh, us acting in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, in sanctification of the Spirit. Clearly, if you read the letter, Peter calls us to do stuff. We are to do stuff in obedience, trusting in what Christ has secured for us. And so therefore, friends, if you are suffering, you look what it says in 1 Peter 5. Go ahead and turn there. Right? Knowing exactly who God is, knowing that He has delivered us, knowing that He has forgiven forgiven us our sin because He's God of steadfast love and mercy. And we see this so clearly, most ultimately, in His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. As we continue to live in this world as exiles, going from this land to the next, Peter closes off his letter with this encouragement. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you how are we to do this right how is it that we are to humble ourselves well verse 7 casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you knowing that your all-powerful god cares for you therefore leads us to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly while doing good 
so that even our enemies, by God's grace, might come to profess that Christ is Lord and Savior for themselves. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we give you great praise, recognizing that you are, in fact, our all-sovereign God. And we thank you, Lord, that because you are who you say you are, and you have accomplished all that you have promised and will accomplish all that you have promised, we therefore can come to you, humbling ourselves, casting our cares and anxieties upon you because you care for us. We thank you, God, that the Christian life is not one of power. It's not one of inherent strength as if that is what secures a salvation. Inherent intelligence or beauty but the Christian life is one who recognizes that you are the one who delivers. So, Lord, we pray for Bethany Bible Church and all of its members. We pray, Lord, that when they face various challenges and trials of various kinds, we pray, Lord, that you would secure their hearts in Christ and that you would remind them of just how good and loving and compassionate you are we pray, Lord, that your faithfulness and your character would, in fact, be the fuel for them to do good, to battle sin, and to walk in holiness for the glory of your name. We pray, Lord, that they would desire to shine as lights on a hill, stars in the darkness, so that people around this area and the areas that they go into would recognize that there is something different about these people and that they would come curious to them, asking them about the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, too, that in the various aspects of suffering, we pray, Lord, that you would show them that your grace is sufficient and your power will be made perfect in weakness as we boast not in ourselves, but finally in our strong Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.